strapped in the trenches Making moves going all out Every day handle business You know that the hustle don't stop Got my team, let's get it Reviewing books and talk stocks Steady keep it moving So you gon' wanna tune in Get Lowdown, it's an app Get local food on demand Delivery right to your home Everything in the palm of your hand Took hard work and dedication Come through, join the conversation This is history up in the making We just wanna be an inspiration Hey, let's go Welcome to another episode of Bootstrapped in the Trenches. Today, we've got Boiler Room Chatter, the biggest bluff, act as if. We've got a behemoth coming on today, guys. Zach Oates, who is the founder and CEO of Ovation. He's rung the NASDAQ exchange, the bell, which I know we've always half-jokingly talked about one day might happen with Lodell. Uh, so that's I'm, I'm very excited to get him on to hear what that was like. He's authored a book. He's gone on over a thousand dates before he met his wife, which I think I can relate to at this point. With uh, I have a couple funny dating stories from this past weekend. First time I've ever gone out with a girl that changes where she's from after one drink. <laughs> went, went from being a hardcore Brooklyn accent, Corey, like your parents, to Australian 10 minutes later. It was the weirdest thing in the, I've ever come across personally. Still <laughs> still wondering what happened there. What uh, she you called her out on it, I did call her out on it. I was like, it was, I couldn't help myself because I was like, okay, I need this girl to realize that I get what's going on here in case she's trying to pull something. And for our viewers, you know, I'm single and I part of why I moved to New York, the dating life, you know, I'm picky. It give, it's a numbers game. And uh, there's Jeff. Jeff, what's going on? I was just telling the guys about my date the other night, how this girl went from sounding like she was from Brooklyn to Australian. Sounds like a sounds like a super trooper moment where they're like she's like playing a game in her head like how many languages can I play with yeah. this guy before he realizes. I asked her if she was an un a undercover agent, and her response was, "So I don't know what." <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, I guess you see it all after a while. But yeah, Jeff, we've got Zach Oates coming on, who is the founder and CEO of Ovation. Let's give him just the talk up before, because I know we want to dive into this book. He's coming on at five. He grew up in the restaurant and retail industry and was frustrated with the lack of tools to find out how customers are feeling, which we could all relate to. Online reviews are easy for the customer, but tough on the businesses. Long surveys are great for the business and difficult for the customer. The world needed a better way. Ovation was created just to do that. And I was looking at his team. It's pretty impressive. Steve Young, the former, the Hall of Fame NFL, former Super Bowl winner, is one of his coaches and investors. He's got Kelly McPherson, who was a former CIO of Burger King, Tim Hortons, Popeyes, Abercrombie and Fitch, Planet Hollywood, and Hard Rock Cafe. So it's pretty exciting. This guy's he's done a lot. He's been around the block. He's also, he went to BYU. I'm sure he can give us some good inroads considering Lodell is expanding there. You know, part of guys, what was cool when we first started this podcast was to community build. And it's awesome now that we're starting to have guests on that happen to be in our markets. And it seems like Zach is a guy that uses free time very wisely. He doesn't really like, it seems like to have free time with all the stuff he has going on. So author of a book, has a successful company. He sold a company. So I'm sure we'll be able to learn a lot from him. He'll be joining us in 25 minutes. We've got a very special guest on, though, the producer of this show, Jeff Rowland, who's on air for the first time since we started doing this. Jeff's been behind the scenes helping us with editing, 
he is a member of Lodell too, helping out with everything. He was in Flagstaff for a while, helping get Lodell going there. He's helping right now Corey make a lot of inroads with new restaurants. And he happened to be the reason we decided to read the biggest bluff this week. Jeff's a big poker player. He It's one of his hobbies. And we figured we'd have Jeff come on. So before we get into any current events and food for thought going on, I figured we'd give Jeff the floor here. Yeah, appreciate you guys having me on. Is, is the audio okay? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I think uh, we've been, you have been doing this podcast for how many months now? Six? It's been a while. It's crazy how much time's flown. It's been so long. November, December. Yeah, November. Yeah. I, think it's, I think it started in November because I remember, or maybe in October, but is November is when I started helping out with the editing. And you guys, you know, had a consistent oh, episode yeah, right. you were producing each week. Um, so pretty wild. It's been almost 10 months and I've not been on the podcast. So thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Definitely something uh, that a good reason for me to come on since I do play poker. And I suggested this book to not only you guys, but to our parents as well. Uh, our mom has a book club and I think they're about to read this book and it took, uh, you know, another New York Times bestseller for mom to finally jump the gun on reading it. But it's definitely a good book. I think uh, all of us got to read it. And it's by Maria Konnikova. So if you guys aren't familiar, she is an author from Russia, uh, grew up in America. So Russian based author. And she decided to take on the challenge task, whatever you want to call it of becoming a professional poker player. And Jeff, what's her background, by the way? Uh, her background is she was studying con artists. So she already had a background with like studying the game theory approach of poker. And, and isn't that, she a psychologist by trade? Yeah. So she studied psychology in college. So already had the therapist background, which obviously with live poker can definitely be good when it comes to live tells. And it seems like she just randomly had the urge to learn poker. Um, and what she decided to do was contact Eric Seidel. Uh, and if you guys watching aren't familiar with who, or listening aren't familiar with Eric Seidel, uh, the movie Rounders in 2001, he was essentially the guy that came in second place in the main event in 1988. And it was a polarizing movie that kind of jumped poker to a whole nother career and you know, just had a lot more players flooding into the pool after Chris Moneymaker won. And rounders definitely had an impact on poker with teaching people how to play and just getting the game very popular in this generation. Um, so she approached Eric Seidel, who has been playing poker now for 30 plus years. Uh, one of the best to ever do it. I believe he's still in the top 10 ever in live caches with millions of dollars in winnings. And she decided to contact him because he's really the only one that's had that type of longevity in the game and has been succeeding at that level for over 30 years. Poker is a game that has developed so much in the last 30 years. You have a lot of different computer solvers and people studying all different types of spots. So it's just become a bigger challenge for people like Seidel to stay consistent and be that good at the game. And he is one of the few that has, you know, instilled the new theories and surrounded himself around the right people and is, you know, still one of the best players to date. Um, so the book essentially is her starting off from day one, you know, playing online tournaments from five to ten dollars to eventually playing in the main event in Vegas, which is a ten thousand dollar buy in. 
and it kind of just explores her journey. Um, not only as a female, a poker player, but as a female poker player, there's no questions that the book has um, a lot of, you know, she tries to really highlight that it's a game of equality. And the only thing that differentiates you from your opponent other than race and sex is your bankroll. And anybody with that money can play those stakes. So it's definitely a game where feminism kind of, uh, you know, highlights in that book where she's pretty much saying, hey, me as a female can win just as much as Eric Seidel as a male. Um, I think it's like 1.5% of all time bracelet winners are held by females or like all the bracelets out there, 1.5% are females. So well, clearly just way less female players. When absolutely. Have, but just you know, in general, like it's a game dominated, dominated by males. Um, so I think that also had an impact on her wanting to get into poker and just proving to herself that, hey, like females could also do this too. Uh, so that was definitely a cool aspect of the novel and definitely enjoyed it. Did you guys all get to read it? Dan, did you get to check um, it out? I started reading and I'm not fully finished with it, but I'm halfway through. I'm loving it. It's a dominant book. Yeah. It's a cool book and they highlight chapters on like specific professionals. I know Corey grew up with Dan Smith, who's like one of the best players of all time. Uh, he wasn't specifically mentioned in the book, but you know, players of his caliber that he's playing with all of the time. And it was definitely just a fascinating story on how she goes from winning her first Vegas tournament for, you know, a thousand dollars to going to the PCA and winning a tournament for 85,000. So yeah, it was, that was the Barcelona one, right? Yeah, definitely. PCA Barcelona, which is, you know, in poker, people will tell you it's more difficult to play against, you know, people from all different countries. I uh, thought yeah. it was cool how Seidel had her play in Macau. It, it reminded me of having to run a, around with ankle weights to kind of build up endurance. And then you take the ankle weights off and you could run way faster. That getting through Macau kind of is like, okay, well, you could deal with that. Now you're ready for Vegas. Vegas will be a cakewalk. Because Macau, they highlighted how everything there is just gambling, on gambling, on gambling. And it's such an intense environment that when you leave that, it's a breath of fresh air. So that to me was really cool how he kind of used a little reverse psychology there with her. And I, I also thought it was interesting for us to talk about the whole imposter play, where when you look at anyone successful that does anything, guys, I think everyone can attest to this. Even like top CEOs on the planet, people like Elon Musk, they had to start somewhere. I think there was a part of this book where she was kind of feeling out some of these behemoths, like, oh, do I even belong at this table? And she realized like everyone's human. And I, I think, and we'll even, you know, ask Zach a bit about this when he comes on. We've all had talked about this, but I think there's always this underlying fear when you're getting into something new or trying to build something and even take advice from people. And at the end of the day, everyone is human. We all have stories. We all have to start somewhere. So I think it goes back to never be afraid to ask for help. And she did a hell of a job doing that, even having Eric Seidel as a mentor. It could show a lot of people feel everybody likes being able to help other people. It makes them feel good. So it's actually a selfish tendency because it makes you feel good, even though you're being selfless. So I think there's this always, I even saw it when I spoke at Indiana University last year, after the talk, I had a couple students kind of hesitant wanting to ask me questions and they were afraid. I'm like, what's up, man? Come talk to me. 
So I, I think that's some, there's something to be said. Don't be afraid. What's the worst that's going to happen? You know? Like you're an intimidating man. Well, yeah, <laughs> what, I, what I'm getting at, I think a lot of people are intimidated by the what ifs with any creators, like that's anyone wrong. in a position of any power or like a business owner or whatever it might be. Hey, everybody started with something or with nothing for that matter. They had to take a first step at one point. When you're going on a run, you have to start with one step or you're not yeah. running anywhere. And everyone that and they respect that humility and the novice too. This girl had an open mind. She came into this as a newbie, which is very hard to do when you're a professional in a field to be able to start from scratch without an ego. It is one of the most complicated things. I think we all can attest to that. When we're all trying to start something new we're, that's foreign to us, whether it's a language, maybe a new workout. You, like, Corey, when you first tried Insanity, how difficult was that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Even every time, even after I've done it and I do it again, like the first few weeks is the worst. If you can make exactly. it past the week one or two, you can do it. And it also shows the hard becomes easier. So the whole like no days off thing, it goes back to like, make the hard easy after a while it becomes routine and then you you level up even more and you saw that with this girl with her tournament play you know yeah it's a great point she also stressed like i think it was after monte carlo she just she was stressing how you need to recharge like how mental is such an important part and then you know she was getting tired and she was doubting herself and she took some time off and came back and then she started crushing it and yeah. winning some tournaments. But it's important no matter what you're doing, working, sports, poker, you got to recharge and reset. And, and you heard Eric Seidel even bring that up. He was supposed to be a host of some big thing and he just, he ran, he's like, I wasn't feeling it. I'm not going to just go because I'm pressured to go. Yeah. If I'm not in that mode, I'm not playing. And that goes back to what Chris Miller said back in the day, Dan, when we were still in Denver on the podcast, he's like, would LeBron James be LeBron James if he didn't rest in between games? Recovery yeah, was- is part of being an athlete. So exactly. I think burnout, it's almost like over the years in our society, it's been this symbol of greatness to not sleep and all, do all these things. And at the end of the day, you, you have to have balance of some kind or else you're going to just fizzle out completely. Yeah, well, I think social media has almost made it where the balance part of influencers' lives is are hidden for the most part. Yeah, and they, yeah, and they, and they only showcase the nonstop hustle. Gary V is not showing becoming a couch potato on NFL Sundays for some reason. Yeah, he's tuned out when he's off the clock, but it looks yeah. like he's always on, even though he takes weekends off, which yeah, I'm sure of course. I don't even know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The one which thing. When you think about it, that needs to be highlighted way more. The notion of, hey, this is this is how it works. This is how to be successful. It's like, great. Show all ends of that. Not just boom, 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 boom. Yeah, I totally agree. The one thing that bothered me being a food podcast and a huge foodie, when she was in Macau, she was like really hitting on dumplings at one point. I she saw like, that. Oh, if I see another dumpling, I'm going to freak out. And then two minutes later, she's like, and then I broke into a soup dumpling. I think, you know what it was, Corey? I think it it, it was almost one of those things where it gets like, I can eat dumplings probably every day of my life without getting sick from them. But you was like the, yeah, as I say, Mike, it was like the Great Wall Chinese experience when they kept bringing it out for us. And we're like, yeah, this this is enough. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where I puked all over the place. Yeah. (laughs) I I know. After a while, you, you know, you reach a threshold with everything. Yeah. Yeah. So. And yeah, what in terms, but yeah, the book was great. I think very easy read. It, I think we all could relate to it from 
those like rounders days wanting to play poker, everyone having that dream. And we've played in the World Series, me, Dan, and Jeff Corey. You know, we had fun with that. I, I uh, you know, had some deep caches and yeah. annoyed we're not there this year, but, you know. Yeah, I feel like Jeff should, uh, I feel like we should talk more about like the current state of poker and just what's going on in the online world in general. I know, Jeff, you're still playing a lot. Mike, you're starting to dabble. I used to play all the time back in the day, full tilt poker stars. And really until I went back to Colorado a couple of weeks ago and Jeff was showing me these new sites, I didn't even realize that there was much of that stuff still even going on just based on the legalities of it. And Jeff, you were going into all kinds of like advanced terms. I didn't even understand what you were saying, but basically just how the games evolved and like just different machinery or software, I should say, that like some of these pros are paying for that give them an edge. What's up with that? Talk about it. Like, first off, talk about the platform you use. And is, could I use it where I'm at? Like, could I, I don't think uh, we should be promoting any type of unregulated site to anyone watching or listening. Uh, there are poker sites that you can play on as an American in America. Um, but we're not, as a podcast, going to tell you to go hop on an unregulated site. We don't know if your money's safe. Like, yeah, we have gotten paid out, but anything can happen. So I don't think it's a good idea for us to promote Anything can happen, as I was talking um, to Jeff about over the weekend, waiting on my Bitcoin transfer, and it finally well, went. Well, I, I, you know, I've been using the site plenty. I know the payouts are secure on, and everything's fine. Stop for one sec. Wait, Mike, you cashed out of Bitcoin and it didn't come? What happened? No, it came. It just, I kept texting Jeff. I'm like, and it, it, no, it went exactly what they said. They said it would take 72 hours. I'm like waiting at 69 hours. I'm like, what's going on here? Sure enough, it ended yeah. up coming, like literally oh, weird. You're talking about the deposit into the site. No, no, no. Nah, you sign up the withdrawal. But also, you have to keep in mind your first withdrawal. It's always going to take like a longer time, so they have to process all of your account information. Um, but yeah, there's you know everyone that isn't familiar with the online world. Like before, I was that into poker. You guys remember grinding on full tilt, playing these massive poker tournaments. Uh, Black Friday happens, and essentially anyone that had money on these sites got it all taken away and you would log into full tilt poker and like an FBI thing came up saying that the site's no longer active and you can't play as an American anymore. Uh, and that had a huge impact on online poker, not only in the U S but in the whole world. Uh, obviously like Canada and a lot of different countries you can play like on these legal sites. Um, but in America, people are restricted to, you know, either using a VPN, which is a software that will hide your IP address and say that you're in another country. So you can play on one of these, uh, legit regulated sites or going down the route that Mike and I have been doing and playing on an unregulated site where they're operating out of, you know, Costa Rica and another country across waters and you're able to still play in the in America. Um, so aside from that, like when it comes to online poker, like, yeah, it, it's gotten to a point where, you know, there's multiple coaches out there. You know, there's players that will put themselves out there to coach you one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, there's websites you can go on and like pay monthly subscriptions to and learn, you know, and become a better player. But it really comes down to, there are like, it's called Pio Solver. And it's literally a solver that you pay for. It's a software on your computer. It's very difficult to use. They have multiple uh, you know, assets of one. It's not just Pio Solver. You have like an ICMizer. When ICM essentially means like your implied equity when you're really deep in a tournament, the, your chips have a different value.
So if I'm playing 10 people left and first place is getting 100,000K and I have like 10 big blinds, which we can kind of go over how that whole thing works, but my chips are worth a lot more because I'm playing for such a large portion of money with, and I'm very close to that prize pool. So there's solvers that you can input all the ranges, all of your opponent's ranges, what hands you think they may be playing in certain positions, and it will actually produce the best outcome, what you should be doing with your hands, if you should be raising pre-flop, if you should be raising after the flop, if you should be going all in pre-flop. And it's literally gotten to the point where these solvers will give you the best solution possible on every single street. And, you know, if you look up the biggest winning players, not only online, but in person, these are guys studying these solvers. And I know uh, in the book, Konnikova briefly mentioned it, how Seidel introduced her to guys like Jason Kuhn uh, for her to really start diving into the solver base. And, you know, Seidel even said himself, like, yeah, I'm not really that into the solvers, but to evolve, like, I've had to get into it. So it, it's gotten to a point where the people that put in, you know, like anything else in life, the people that put in more time are going to be more successful because they're just putting all their resources into the game and they're investing a lot of their time and money into studying and, and these computer softwares. And it's definitely fascinating. If anyone is interested, you can definitely just YouTube like Pio Solver uh, and watch someone kind of explaining how it works if you want to have a brief understanding of that. But the game online has just grown to a whole nother level where as in 10 years ago, this stuff wasn't going on. And it was, you know, everyone had such an edge if they knew how to play the game because you had so many newcomers playing poker. And now it's just you have guys that are absolute crushers making millions of dollars at the game and constantly running computer programs to, you know, win, essentially. I thought it was interesting in the buckhouse side, Dell basically immediately shoo shoot superstition as gambling. He's like, I don't buy into superstition because that's a gambler's mentality. If you're starting to believe in it, that means you believe in gambling. And Definitely. this is a chance type of game. And he was really big on, I play poker. I'm not a gambler, which I thought was really interesting because I think there's a misconception with a lot of people that poker is just gambling. And when you see the same people showing up, winning these tournaments time and time again, I find it hard to believe that's luck. So exactly. Gambling at all. No, it, there's a sense of gambling of for sure. But even when she got uh, connected with the mental coach, I forget his name, but you know, Seidel had connected Maria with like a big time poker mental coach, which is huge. There are some huge poker players paying thousands of dollars for an hour meeting with these like crazy, you know, mental coaches to get their minds on par to play. And she said like, oh, I hope I do well in the World Series. And he was like, that's it. He's like, take that word out of your dictionary. Yeah. Because you shouldn't have hope as a poker player. It's all preparation. And then you're going to go succeed. But obviously there's a chance of gambling, which is what makes poker great. And it, you know, it gives the ability of someone that doesn't play at all uh, the chance of beating Eric Seidel, right? And their pocket kings could beat his pocket aces with a king on the flop. Like there's always going to be that type of gamble and well, poker. I think a lot of people that play poker do it for that reason, for fun, with the experience Definitely. of a story of, oh, I was in a hand against this guy, Johnny Chan and I were, you know, like from the movie Rounders, where you have a story to tell your buddies at the home game. And obviously, as we all know, TV with the World Series of Poker about, you know, 15, 20 years ago, back in 03 with Moneymaker, 
that's when everybody wanted to be the next moneymaker. We all went through that stretch where we all had home games going on. Our buddy's dad built a poker room for us. I mean, it got serious at one point. You know, I think we all at one inkling had this mentality of, oh, I'm the next World Series bracelet winner. Who's this Reg Raymer guy? And you know, yeah. seeing him in person waiting in line for chips, I'm like, that's Yeah, crazy. wild. I didn't realize they were saying Seidel in the book, like he refused to show his cards on TV. I didn't know that. At oh, first. Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> at first. He didn't so, have a choice at a certain point of time. But, yeah, you got to – an old school guy like that, you know, and they come to you and it's like, all right, now you got to show your whole cards. And he's like, what? I've been crushing. Well, yeah, all it's, a, it's a brutal living. I mean, poker, we've all played it. I was playing, I went deep in a tournament last weekend. <laughs> I was so exhausted. Like I had just worked like as a delivery driver for two shifts in a row without stopping where it's just, you have, it's like anything in life. As we all know with our business, you're all in or you don't succeed. It's the same with poker. Corey, I know, has had close friends from his town that have gone on and made a fortune playing poker. We know a kid, not going to name names, but there's been people we know that are so dedicated to the craft, relationships haven't worked out for them. Where it's like, hey, I'm, this is my world, and if you can't be a part of it, sorry, I care more about this than anything. And that's the only way you become that. And you could say that about any profession. If you want to be at the top, that's what it takes. Hundred yeah. percent. They're also saying how many like there's just any single drug you want you can find in one of those poker rooms. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> right. When you have that type of stuff going on, it, it was funny how they brought up anything from Adderall to micro dosing, yeah, which exactly. I thought was really interesting. You well, all people. That's what's fascinating about poker. I remember when we were out there last year. Also, being able to see all the diversity from around the world, where you're meeting people you never would meet, and so there, there's definitely some really cool things of poker. I There's a cool dynamic there for cool sure. Dynamic, but, but it's back to the uh, scratch it. And then that itch is gone for a while because it's I, an easy thing to get burnt out from. Absolutely. But back to the gambling thing, I think it's all about like Mike saying, like how you play the game. So, you know, when we went out to the world series last year and we played in an $800 event, like if that was my only $800 to play in that tournament, like that's me gambling to play yeah, in a poker sure. tournament. But if I was going out there to play in a $50 tournament and I brought myself like 20 different buy-ins and I'm going to go play this $50 tournament every day, like that's when poker is not a gamble. And, you know, that's the whole first few chapters of that book is bankroll management and how Seidel was forcing Maria to play in these small events at Planet Hollywood. And he was like, no, you can't even come to the $100 at the Aria because like, you have to look at this in a professional way. So, you know, it's just like a business. It's all numbers in the end. You, you have to have proper management or you're yeah, just you care about the your buy-in, money away. We've all been there. The psychology behind worrying about the buy-in, you're already at a major disadvantage. I remember Absolutely. that. I was so much worse at poker back then because of that, where I would not play hands correctly, worrying about if I lost the tournament. <laughs> and there's no way to win a tournament like that. That's yeah. why I dominated last year. What's that, Dan? So that's why I dominated last yeah, year. Yeah, Dan made a deep run in cash. There you go. <laughs> but Dan so, was also interested in, like, you know, I was explaining to Dan how most of these players these days are backed in these events and they're – you know, dealt with hundreds of thousands of dollars of makeup debt that they owe their backer. And they've been playing these 1K events like every Sunday. And these guys are living their lives in debt to chase a big score. And it's definitely an excruciating, like, 
painful life to live. And it doesn't work for the majority of that. It doesn't work for the majority. Like a lot of people fail and it's, you know, I think it's just like the American dream in a way of people like wanting to create their own schedule. And that's the best way to say it. Yeah. Be lazy and play poker. Like that definitely has, you know, when Chris Moneymaker won, that was definitely the idea of a lot of people. It's like, Oh, now I can just go sit on my couch and play poker. Well, one guy that sure as hell is not sitting on his couch playing poker is Zach Oates. I can tell you right now, this guy is, he kind of reminds me of Jake Udell with the nonstop motor and all of us too, for that matter. I mean, anyone that's authored a book and has sold a company and then wanted to just start another company. We talk about that sometimes too, where it's just, how do you keep that fire ignited? I mean, we've been in the same industry for a long time. We all have figured out ways to do that as a team, but I always am fascinated by someone that's seen so much success at a young age and then they just turn key. And I, I we all know it's that, that ever curious nature and just the restlessness, which I think you need as an entrepreneur to have unlimited energy where you just get bored very easily of idle time. And I, I'm very curious to hear about these thousand dates. He must have some crazy stories. He also has a, on his LinkedIn, one of his interns had some crazy, it sounds like awful delivery service experience with one of our competitors. Nice. So very curious to hear what happens with that. All right, guys, I got a call. All right, Corey. Talk to Corey you. Corey off to sling a restaurant, like always. And I appreciate Zach, you guys having me on as well. I'm going to let Zach take over here. Well, yeah, Jeff, you, you know, stay on for Zach. Yeah. Oh, do you guys want me to stay on for Zach? Yeah. Sure. Okay. I shared with you the questions too. For sure. So up. yeah, Zach Oates, BYU alum. It's been cool having the last couple of weeks people that are, you know, can resonate to oh. our markets. And uh, yeah, curious to hear what what that bell ringing was like. I want to put him on the spot right off the bat with that because yeah, I always no, framed in that for Lodell. When did he uh, do that? What? When was When did that go down, the bell ringing? We'll hear. We'll find out. Pulling them up right now. Rung the NASDAQ bell. Yeah, him and Dave Portnoy have something in common. They do. Hold on one sec. Zach Oates. Mr. Oates. Seems like a behemoth. And yeah, we, we already gave everyone the intro to Zach, award-winning entrepreneur, husband, author, innovation consultant, blogger, hot tubber, my kind of dude. I like this. You say hot Expert. <laughs> What's that? You say hot tubber? Hot tubber. He put in his profile. Okay. When you think of jack of all trades, I, I've I never met Zach Goats, but I'm when we go to Utah, we're going to have to meet him. Maybe he can give us some tips on how to ring that bell. <laughs> Says he is an expert wife finder. There he is. What's up? The expert wife finder himself, Zach Oates. What's going on, buddy? What's up, guys? How are you? How are you, man? Thanks for joining us. Yeah. So I don't know. Is there a let me just see. You guys show it green. Oh no, there oh there we go. Green screen. You see us? Yeah, he's trying to set his green screen up, it looks like. You should be able to do it here, Zach. Yeah, yeah, I see it. You All might right. have to have a, a plug-in though for StreamYard. That's a that's a dope shirt. Oh, this old thing? Love that, man. 
Talk yeah. about peacocking. That's Dan, that brand stands there out. There we go. Nice. There we go. Uh, there let's go. See. What do we want to do? Want to do brick or? <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to be too self-promoting here. This is. Oh, dude, do your thing. Is that all right? Okay. Yeah. Is it working now? Definitely. Yeah, you're good. Damn. Zach, is that what you? Is that the shirt you had on when you rung the bell at Nasdaq? <laughs> Uh, no, I do remember that shirt though. Cause that's like my, my go-to I've got, I've got like nine shirts. And, uh, so it's not hard for me to remember which one was which. Oh, that's amazing, <laughs> man. Take us through that experience. Cause I know my brothers and I, we've always dreamed of that possibility one day with our company. What was that like for you? Dude, ringing the NASDAQ bell was one of, um, I let's think. Because what's his bucket? Who's who's the guy who did uh, – oh, Oscar Wilde, right? He said that second only to a honeymoon, Niagara Falls is man's biggest disappointment in life. Um, I would say that ringing the NASDAQ bell, there was so much hype. It was so cool. It was so exciting. But it was a little bit underwhelming because – it's this iPad screen and it just has a button that says push and you just, you just push it. And that's wow. it. Oh, so it's not an actual physical belt. No, it's just like a little iPad screen. Wow. But I will wow. say honestly, while, so while that was like a little underwhelming uh, to actually push the button, the whole experience was incredible. Like, Oh, Boy, sorry, I think there's a lag here. My bad if I just talked over you. But when you just said all you do is push a button on an iPad, what, what if, when, when I watch TV and I see these companies ringing the bell, they're like ringing a bell. So there's the New York Stock Exchange and there's the NASDAQ. The New York Stock Exchange is like a big to-do where you, know, you go onto the floor and there's the trading floor and everything. The NASDAQ is all digital. Right. So the NASDAQ, you just, you just push the button. So yeah. I read the NASDAQ, not the New York Stock Exchange. That's yeah. cool. And Zach, I don't think our viewers had any idea that breakdown. I'm glad you shed light on that because yeah. I personally had no idea. I figured every stock that went public, they're just dinging and cheering. So yeah. that's no. It was it was so cool. And then, you know, I grew up right outside of Manhattan. So going going into Manhattan and uh you know, being up there on Times Square, it's like, wow. That was oh, just, man. It was cool. Oh, so you're an East Coast kid. Yeah, born and raised in Jersey. Oh, so were we, man. We grew up in Wachung, like 35 minutes west of the city. Oh, yeah. I grew up in Morristown, and I was born oh, in – Played hockey, Twin Oaks Arena. Yeah, I know that. I I would stand watch as my friends would smoke weed in Ramsey. You know, I was a, I was a cop watch. That's awesome, man. So what brought you all the way out to Utah? I saw you went to BYU. Yeah, that's it. I went to BYU and I went there looking for a wife, man. Really? Right. Yeah. Good place to do it, man. I remember okay. when we were in Utah. Wow. Dude. Zach, I got to ask you, man, because I, I went on a crazy date the other night when I, I knew you were my kind of dude when I saw you've been on over a thousand dates <laughs> looking for a wife. Can you break down... For starters, did you actually go on a thousand dates? Okay. And, oh, yeah. And what? Go ahead. Well, no. For I wanted to know if there's actually been a thousand. And out of all of those, I want to hear the craziest experience because 
from what I happened to me the other night, you must have a boatload of nutty <laughs> stories from some of these women. That's a genius going to BYU to meet a wife. It really is. Yeah, like, as, like a, as a high school student, you're like all pumped to go to college to meet a girl. But you know, like at least I wasn't thinking that far ahead. Well, no, I don't even mean that far ahead, but I wasn't smart enough to think like, oh, if I go to a school in Utah, I'm going to be way more likely to meet a girl that is, like wants to settle down with me and like give me all the things I want in life. So I mean, dear props to you. That's like some of the smartest shit I've ever Talk heard. Talk about foresight and being a visionary. Wow. Well, except for the fact that like uh, I went there as an undergrad, didn't get married. Uh, went there, went back and got my MBA, didn't get married. And I was like, man, screw this. I'm just, I'm just moving to Texas. And then I just <laughs> met her. Just met her on a hike in Moab. It was crazy. Whoa. That is crazy. So not even on one of your a thousand dates. This was just randomly. Yeah. So th so here's how it worked out, right? So you asked about a thousand dates. So true story, I did not go on a thousand dates. I went on closer to thirteen hundred dates. But my publisher thought that a hundred lessons from a thousand dates sounded better than a hundred lessons from one thousand two hundred and ninety-seven dates. So that, that was that was how that came to be. Um, but. For example, I remember one time I was on this date and uh, we were, the date was not going well. I mean, fellas, it was, it was not going well. Um, Give us details. What do you mean? I, like, for example, okay, to, to start off, I wanted to go out with her roommate, but her roommate had a date that night. So I asked her out. She found out that I had asked her roommate out first. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, well, I mean, you know. Well, I mean, I, I do know. I like it. <laughs> so so she didn't really want to be there um and on the date she i was on a double date with my cousin um she asked out my cousin's date on like during dinner we were playing putt putt and she went and played with like the group ahead of us and then would like come back and like hit our golf balls around so that way like you know Anyway, we couldn't keep score or anything. And she was being super rude. So we're sitting there at dinner and um, we're, we're, you know, the, we could see the street from our table. And I'm like just scrambling, like, what can I do to, you know, what can I do to, to get through this date? And this truck drives by. And I was like, oh, look, there's a sheep truck. She goes, how do you know that's a sheep truck? And I was like, well, because I was in the sheep truck driving union for a couple of years. <laughs> And she goes, oh, really? Well, while we're in a lying mood, I'm having a great time and would love to go on a second date. And I was like, oh, okay. So I, I was like, you know what? I, I was like, you know what? I don't think this is going very well. I called over the waiter. I said, Let, we're just going to get our food to go. Please box it up. And she's like, no, no, no. We can stay on the date. And I was like, no, no, no. We're, we're really okay. So I drove her home. And uh, I dropped her off at her apartment and I didn't even, I, so I parked, uh, cause we lived in part buildings right next to each other. So we parked, I walked her to her stairs, gave her one of these, and then I walked away. Now I stood behind the building and like watched to make sure she went into her apartment because as rude as that, as like bad as the date went, like I still didn't want her to get like mugged or something. You know what I mean? Like granted, oh, it doesn't happen a lot in Provo, Utah, but still. Uh, <laughs> And uh, yeah, anyway, so ends up, we end up becoming like best friends. We take a bunch of classes together at BYU um, and we ended up dating. Wow. Wow. 
Yeah, so it was an impression ended up working out better than the first for both of you. Yeah, well, once once her roommate and I didn't work out, then you know it was like, okay, now <laughs> let's see how this goes. Wow. And was this this was the girl you ended up with? No, no, no. The girl I ended up with, I, I literally was just on a hike in southern Utah in a place called Moab. We're on a hike where uh, we're walking. Um, I, I see her with walking next to my ex girlfriend. And I jog up and I'm like, hey, Brenda, who's your friend? And she's like, oh, this is Annie. And I was like, bye, Brenda. And Annie and I started chatting. Wow. Two hours later, we're making out in her tent. Two months later, we're engaged. It just uh, just happened like that. Man, wow. You quick. Zach, what I really respect with you, and maybe you could shed some light for our viewers here. Clearly, you have zero fear putting yourself out there. And I think that goes hand in hand with being able to have the success that you've clearly built in life already. What kind of advice for anyone that's hesitant when they're thinking about trying to start something? What, what type of advice would you give them with that fearlessness that you clearly have? So, well, I mean, first of all, success is like all relative, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we're all living someone's dream. So as, as, uh, as good or that. as bad as someone has it, it's like someone is going to look at you and think, man, I wish I had Dan's life or Jeff's life or Mike's life, right? Like we all have a uh, really high level of success on, on some spectrum. And I think it's a matter of like figuring out what do we want and, and uh, how do we define success for ourselves? So for, in terms of like, I'll, I'll, I'll break this into two pieces. One is in terms of the actual business, Right. Um, from doing like 500 startups and meeting, not, not, I didn't do 500 startups. I went through the program called 500 startups, uh, in the Bay area, incredible program. And just from meeting so many entrepreneurs, here's the formula that I found that almost every single startup that's been successful goes through. And that is they stay alive and excited long enough to get lucky. And like, that is the pattern I've seen every single time. By the way, I don't know, am I still coming through because my video seems jumpy to me? Yeah, yeah, you're coming through perfectly. Okay. okay. Um, so, so staying alive, it's like, you gotta be really good with your finances. You've gotta find people to pay you, be it investors, consumers, uh, you know, uh, B2B customers, whatever it is, like you gotta stay alive. You gotta have that money. Two is you got to stay excited. Find a problem that you can be passionate about. Not your solution, but find the problem you can be passionate about. And then like get lucky, right? It's a matter of you keep doing, you keep going. And at every, almost every single company I've, I've talked to that has been successful, there comes some point where there's something that happened to them, not necessarily because of what they did, but because of what they were doing. Right. They were like on the right path. And so um, something happened that got them to 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 get lucky uh, and they took advantage of that. And so anyways, that's like the business side of things um, from from like a personal side of things. This has been my mantra with everything that I've done, which is choose to live ex an extraordinary life for an ordinary one will always be waiting. You, you can always have ordinary. I could always go and get some middle management job at some, you know, some decent company making an okay wage. Like I could always do that. 
So why would I start doing that? Why am I going to try to do that if if my worst case scenario, right? So so then the, the objective is how do you elevate your ordinary? How do you elevate that worst case scenario? So what I did was uh, I had my startup and I wasn't sure, is it going to go well? Is it not? And I, and I wanted to elevate my ordinary. So I went out and I did sales for a summer. So I knew, okay, I could sell something. So now my ordinary is a job I don't love, but I can make good money. Okay. Um, then I went out and I got my MBA, right? I elevate my ordinary. If my startup fails, I can go get a consulting job with a good salary, benefits, paternity leave. That's more than an afternoon. Um, and so as you elevate your ordinary, it's not as scary to try something extraordinary. So that's what I always tell people is like, choose extraordinary because that ordinary is going to be waiting for you. It's not going anywhere that, that, you know, uh, you know, we always have like our backup plan of someone that we're interested in. They're, they're not going anywhere. You know what I mean? Like, so, so go for it. Shoot your shot, man. That really is enlightening when you think about it, the whole like last resort going into a middle management job, if you have to where instead of the whole using that as a clutch, it's like, hey, that's a fallback. What do you have to lose here? I, I really respect that, Zach. That's cool. I think for a lot of people, it's easier said than done raising that bar with themselves, where it's just like, okay, I need to push this through. Even when you think about eating habits and you know you get bored of eating the same thing, oh, I'm going to try something different on the menu I've never had before. Most people don't do it. They just stick to the same order of chicken fried rice. And and you know what? Like there are people who love that and that's awesome, right? There is nothing wrong. Um, and, and when I say like, you know, choose, choose extraordinary because ordinary is going to be waiting. Like there's nothing wrong with ordinary, right? Like there's, there's a sense of stability of peace. And if someone really doesn't care about their job, and they want to spend time with, they just want to spend time with friends or they want to be with family. Like that's great, right? If your job isn't your life, that's awesome. Um, for someone, for, for other people, we have that need to build something, right? We can't just be put into a machine and feel content. We have to build. And so if you're that type of person, don't sit there and like, let your soul drip on the floor working for someone else. Like build value because no one was put here on earth to just like string themselves along. People are put here on earth to build, to, to do great things. And whatever yeah. great is in your sphere, like just do it. And Zach, talk about some touch on building great things. You clearly found a problem when you were starting Ovation. Can you talk about that conviction down that path? What led to, was there a light bulb moment with Ovation off of numerous disconnects with restaurants and customers? Yeah, great, great question, Mike. So it really came down to, uh, so I love to travel. And every every time I, I travel, we always plan it around eating out and these experiences. Well, what I noticed was people would be like, hey, if you if you had a good experience, can you like give us a review on TripAdvisor? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll do that when I get Wi-Fi back at the hotel, right? But then we get back to the hotel and we are eating and we're like hanging out. And then all of a sudden, like the next day, the next day, the next day, then we're like, Oh shoot, I want to leave a review. What was that place called? Like, ah, I just wish they could like, wish there was a way to give feedback. And then the flip side of it, you know, like the other day I was, I was at a restaurant that, that doesn't use ovation and I waited 30 minutes for my fries to come out and they were cold and I'd been there half dozen times, but like, what am I going to do? I'm going to complain to the manager and then, and then what, wait 30 minutes for more cold fries. 
I'm going to like leave them a bad review, but I had six good experiences. I don't want to leave them a bad review. Like I'm not going to take some 70 question receipt survey. And so what, what we basically found was that if you were happy with an experience, it was very hard to remember and to come back and to remember who they were. If it was a terrible experience, there's no good way to give feedback that doesn't hurt the restaurant or the business. And so we wanted to create something that was easier than leaving an online review, more actionable than, you know, like a receipt survey um, and, and to give them that holistic view and uncover what they need to do to improve. And so for me, it was about this matter of uh, I see a future where receipt surveys are gone. Right. I mean, I don't know, Mike, Dan, Jeff, tell me. In the last year, have any three of you taken like a receipt survey at a restaurant? I've never done that in my life. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Like, never. People, people don't do it. I, I yeah. have done it a few times for Subway to get the free cookie, right? And like, that's it. Um, yeah. The and, one and time we did it was my, a kind of funny story. Mike, remember when we were in Vietnam, we kind of got like forced to do it. There was that yeah. awkward moment where the waitresses like wouldn't let us leave until we filled out this whole corner. corner. Yeah. That's the one time yeah. that abroad in Vietnam. Yeah. I'm sorry, we did yeah. have that happen. Yeah. I mean, like it just people don't do it. Now, I don't know, have any of you three ever left like an online review? Yes. Yeah. I don't think Only so. if very rarely it has to be like you were saying, extreme circumstance. Like, exactly. That's with that. Yeah. And so basically what you have here is you have us, which we're, we're very digital consumers and you have these physical businesses and there is such a disconnect there. And so what we want to do is we want to, we want to create something that's super simple for consumers to give feedback, for businesses to respond, and then for corporate to get a view of what these conversations are, are uh, what happens in these conversations so they can improve their business. And in the end of the day, what we're doing is we're connecting companies and, and customers to help them build relationships because everything that I learned in dating, it, it applies to business, right? What you need to be a great first date is what you need to be a great business. And, uh, and so I actually do a seminar called dating your customers. And that's what it's all about because, because, wow. because you go on a first date, you go to a party and you meet someone, you know how to engage with them. You know how to interact with them, but all of a sudden they walk into your business and people are like, think that you're supposed to treat them differently. They're humans, humans sure. have, the same, have the same desires, be it at a bar or at a bar you know, like socially or as a customer. Yeah, that it's really interesting when you break that down, dating or what actions is and isn't. That's fascinating. Because, getting Dan, some, you all right there? Getting some jams on. Yeah, I, I think that's interesting because I think everyone, when you think about a first date, everyone tries putting on this impression, but then, you know, you start breaking bread a little, the nerves settle and it's like, oh, we're just humans. And then yep. you're right, with business a lot of times, People look at a customer like they're in some museum mural and they're just not understanding. It's like, what's going on here with this person? It's like, what do you yeah. mean? They're a human being. So that that's really fascinating that you're able to uh, connect the two like that. That because they there really is a lot of correlation. Yeah, and and that's something where for me, I'm very passionate about building value and about helping people build relationships. And uh, this is doing both of that, and and it's something that. I feel like it's going to be the future. And, uh, you know, 
should should we be so lucky that ovation gets to be a part of that then awesome but i'll tell you what i'm going forward with it because in 10 years i know that when i go to a restaurant with my daughter ovation like technology is going to be there it's going to be the standard and man i'm going to be kicking myself in the butt if i'm sitting there being like do you know your dad started a company that used to do something just like this but he just couldn't stick with it it's like no man we're going to do it Zach, see, I love the, the enthusiasm, and I also it's funny you are, are in the business you're in because my brothers and I have had this conversation for so long. You know, we're one of the Uber Eats competitors, the smaller players in that universe, and we, you know, we work with hundreds of clients in different markets around the country, and we see time and time again how much of a disconnect there is with the review system and how out of whack it's been with Yelp and Zomato, whatever Zomato, however you call it. <laughs> I, I just have, I felt like the whole system's been broken for so long. And that's really cool what you've built because it's clearly been a need. And have you been seeing, has it been picking up steam like crazy? How many markets are you in right now? So we're in 41 states right now. Um, wow. and Canada and uh, almost Australia. Um, but, you know, it's been it's been great. Like we just brought on Kelly McPherson as an advisor. I, Kelly, that was incredible. I saw that. Yeah, she's she is just totally rock star. She's actually one of the pioneers of receipt surveys. She built it for uh, Hard Rock Cafe in Planet Hollywood, um, like in the mid 90s before it was even a thing. Like she pioneered this technology. And now here she is, you know, 25 years later. And she's like you guys are what this should be, right? Like ovation is, is the next step, but she was the CIO chief information officer, of Popeye's Burger King, Tim Hortons, Planet Hollywood, Micros POS, um, uh, Abercrombie and Fitch. I mean, she's just like, she's a total rock star and to have her experience on our board is just super incredible. Like feel so blessed. And it's oh, something that's amazing. It gives you a yeah. ton of credibility too. It shows what you, you're clearly onto something. Having someone like that in your corner, it, it's a lot. Yeah, and it, and it's been great. And you know, we're starting. Um, yeah, you know, you had like the initial shock of COVID with restaurants and things shutting down, but now people are like, "Well, wait, I, I don't know what this new normal is, right? Like, what should we be doing?" And uh, the the answer is nobody knows so ask your customers and so they're like well, how do i talk to my customers and it's like here we are right yeah. and so this is an opportunity for people to really uh understand what their customers are wanting as we're stepping into the next normal and whatever that is and part of that next normal is going to be a, a the next two years of really mercurial evolution until we get to what consumers are finally agreeing is like the next thing, right? Because I mean, the, the way that I, I put it is like, since the French Revolution, when when our modern restaurants have were birthed, um, until COVID, there's been kind of like this unwritten contract of, I go to a restaurant, I know what to expect, and the restaurant knows what my expectations are. Well, all of a sudden, in 2020, there has been as much change in the restaurant industry in the last, you know, four months as there have been in the last 200 years. And so restaurateurs need to figure out what is it and consumers need to be able to express that. And so that's where we come in to make that connection, to bridge that gap and to help them understand 
what their consumers are thinking, feeling, experiencing, and what they want, and how restaurants are doing matching up to that. Wow. That's great. And yeah, the timing on this, it's clearly, it's needed as much as ever. Obviously, I know dine-in, in terms of at the restaurant, has not been what it was. It'll bounce back. But you, at the end of the day, you always have a customer experience with the restaurant. And yeah. like you said, there's this going in, oh, well, we just assume there's this expectation. It's like, well, let's not assume ovations here. So that's yeah. really cool, man. And Zach, how are you able to, you, you're a husband, a father, an entrepreneur. You've written a book, you've sold a company, you started another company, you've been all over the planet. Can you talk a bit about your life work balance? Because that's something I personally always struggle with. How are you able to balance the two so successfully? Well, I, dude, it's it's tough sometimes, right? Especially during um, during like the first couple, first two three months of COVID, it was like there wasn't a lot of balance. It was just scrambling to figure things out. But at the end of the day, what I found is that I am more productive when I can go home at say six thirty, have dinner with my family, and then you know work a little bit later on in the day or in the evening. And like having that dinner time with my family is just like so important. And on Saturdays, if I need to work, I make sure that my Saturday nights are free and that it's family time, right? And there's uh, nap times every day that I can work during nap times. Um, so anyway, and then like, the, so to me, I just look at it like I am starting, I'm doing ovation in part because I have this like insatiable desire to build something and in part because I want to provide a great life for my family. Well, if I were to prioritize that, my family comes first, you know? And so I, I want to make sure that, um, you know, that they're getting enough attention. And actually one thing that I do is every single week, I ask my wife, uh, what can I do to improve? Every week I ask her that. Every Sunday we sit down, we have a conversation, you know, uh, we share with each other what's going well. And then I ask how I can improve. She asks how she can improve. And that way, if ever anything is getting a little out of whack, if she ever feels like I'm spending too much time, she knows that there's an opportunity every week that we could talk about that and and rearrange things and make sure that we're having our date night and make sure that we can go and play, you know, play games with the neighbors. And like, what, what can we do as a family on Saturday and keeping those plans together? And, um, and then, as I say, you got to ABT, man. You got to always be tripping. Always have some fun trip planned and be thinking about it, talking about it. Because the more when you're planning that trip, you get as much endorphins as going on the trip. And so this year, we haven't gone to Jamaica, but we had a lot of fun planning it. We haven't gone to Brazil. Uh, but we had a lot of fun thinking about it and buying the tickets for it. We haven't gone to New York City, but, you know, we've got the tickets for it for next year. The, like, So these things, we haven't done these trips, but we're having a lot of fun planning them. And That uh, anticipation. It really, it, it, life is all about it, right? That before the discovery where you're anticipating, you're getting pumped up. That's really cool, Zach. I love that. When you have that thing to look forward to on the calendar. ABT. My, my, what we do is whenever we come back from an international trip, um, in at the end of the trip, on the flight home, we plan our next big trip. 
And so wow. that's that's our that's our like uh, you know every single international trip we've come back from we've planned our next one. When's it gonna be? What's our budget for it? And uh, where do we want to go? I got wow. Josh, sure. I love the nonstop energy and passion. I could see how you've done what you've done. It's really incredible. And where where yeah. could our viewers find Ovation? Where's the best place to find you guys? OvationUp.com. OvationUp.com. Do you have an Instagram? Yeah, we're Ovation Up on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, Facebook. And then you and can Jack, find- are you based out in Salt Lake City? Yeah, we're just south of Salt Lake. And are you, do you live there as well? Uh-huh. Nice, man. We'll have to hopefully break bread when we come out to Utah. Our family business actually has been expanding throughout Utah the last couple months. So we'll as soon as the dust settles on this COVID situation, we'd love to grab dinner yeah. with you. Come out, would love it. Show you some great hikes out here too. For sure, man. And dude, on that note, are you a, obviously you work in the restaurant industry as well. Food wise, are you a big food delivery pickup guy? Are you a cook? What? How do you dabble with that? Uh, so I, I grew up, my first job was in the restaurant space. Um, after my father retired from the NFL, he was an investor in restaurants and retail shops. And so that's, that's what I like grew up in. Um, but you know, I, I love uh, the convenience of delivery. You know, at times it may take a little longer. So I prefer I prefer takeout because that way I know it's just it's a straight line from from the restaurant to my house. Um, but you know, I uh, we, we we subscribe to some stuff here at the office to get delivery um, because sometimes you just don't have time, right? You don't have time to go pick stuff up. And For sure. uh, the convenience of it makes a lot of sense. But, um, you know, if, if I choose, if I were to choose like one restaurant, we've got some awesome clients that have some phenomenal restaurants. Uh, but I would say Vegas, there's a buffet called Bacchanal. They've done a few documentaries about it. You can watch them on YouTube. That's probably my favorite restaurant if, if I had to choose, because if you can't tell by going on over a thousand dates, I, I, uh, I like variety for sure. <laughs> and so I'm a, I'm a buffet kind of guy. Wow. I mean, Zach Vegas does have great buffets. I like where your head's at with that. And what, what about last meal on earth? I always like putting our guests on the spot with that, like skid row, death row type of thing. What are we talking about here? Calories mean nothing. What's your go-to cheat meal? Oh man. Do you know what? I, I'm a huge sweets guy. So like mm -hmm. if I, if I were truly on death row, it would be like, I would want some really good barbecue and then just a ton of candy. I just want candy, nice. candy, candy. <laughs> we got to bring Zach some candy when we go to Salt Lake City, Dan and Jeff. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Zach, it's been awesome having you on. Uh, for everybody, go to ovationup.com. Zach's up to some incredible things. Cannot wait to meet you, man, and follow the future of Ovation. I think you guys are on the cusp of dominance. It's a great concept. Dude, thank you. Mike, Dan, Jeff, appreciate you guys having me on. Oh, yeah, thanks man, for coming You have great yeah, Enjoy the night. All right, fellas. Take care, buddy. Have yeah, a good one. That was fun. Yeah, very cool guy. I, yeah. It's been cool just getting to know these random people from LinkedIn that we're just reaching out to. And then, you know, we have some cool new uh, – Amigos that we can feel hang like out that with. guy can give Gary V a run for his money. Very Thanks, inspirational, man. dude.
You should be getting on that. Always be tripping. Yeah, like that's good stuff. That guy really should be on like the you know Insta every day. I feel like he can blow up doing that. I mean, hey man, that was that was a lot of fun, and I think we see guys the passion. Utah has something in the water out there. I might have to move out there for a few months and move into BYU for a lady. I I think that's the spot you should move. That might be the move. Utah move. Yeah, no doubt. Like they're just they're looking. They're looking, they're looking and they're like, everyone. That big love show, I'll end up turning into a polygamist, having like eight wives. <laughs> when I was down there with Jeff and Logan, I mean, every girl was coming up to him on the bench trying to have a little conversation with him. It was, it was getting it was out of control. I mean, hey, we do have a lot of Utah markets moving. Uh, we'll start with Charleston, though, Dan. There seems and to be some talent down there. There's a lot of women down here, too. But yeah, guys, I think Jeff, that's your stomach rumbling over there. Dinner time. Bootstrapped in the trenches, making moves, going all out. Every day, handle business. You know that the hustle don't stop. Got my team, let's get it. Reviewing books and talk stocks. Steady, keep it moving. So you gon' wanna tune in. Get low down, it's an app. Get local food on demand. Delivery right to your home. Everything in the palm of your hand. Took hard work and dedication. Come through, join the conversation. This is history up in the making. We just wanna be an inspiration. Hey, let's go.